Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Start My Biz podcast. So on this episode, we have Ruth Ursainville, a serial entrepreneur that retired twice. Let's get on with the show. Okay. So Ruth, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, David. Pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, so uh, we networked online over uh, a business app, uh, and that got us talking to basically start this podcast today. Um, so first question, Ruth, is uh, what's the nature of your business? Um, my business is recruiting and staffing. So for the past 17 years, I've run a recruiting and staffing company. Um, in addition to that, I also provide um, virtual assistance to business owners. I have a virtual assistant office that provides assistance as well as social media marketing. So these are my businesses, my core businesses. Mm-hmm. However, there's more to that as I provide also yeah. leadership training, and okay. um, that's pretty much, yeah. From the career industry, that's mm-hmm. what I specialize in, helping corporation or business owners grow their businesses. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. You're doing staffing, yeah. you're doing leadership, and you're also doing virtual assistance. So a lot of, what I'm hearing, a lot of people work. Correct. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's a people business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm in the so- people business. Really curious. Tell me more about the, the virtual assistant type business because I've heard I've read Four Hour Work Week and uh, Tim Ferriss kind of I'm pretty sure he was one of the first people to popularize the whole idea of virtual assistants. So are you helping people make that connection with um, individuals overseas? Definitely. Um, I'm, I'm I'm happy you mentioned Tim Ferriss because he, that's the first um, time that I've heard of virtual assistant was through Tim Ferriss' book. Um, I've read that book in 2007, 2009. 2007, and then I opened my business based on that concept, which was virtual, back in 2009, based on that book, um, The 4-Hour Work Week. So it's so funny you mentioned that. So yes, so ever since then, um, I've made connection with the Philippines um, in various areas. So not only do I have virtual assistants that's helping uh, even myself, my staff, and other companies with any administrative or social media marketing component. Uh, but also recruitment as well. You could actually have recruitment um, mm-hmm. staff in the Philippines and they fully trained, certified, and basically you have somebody working for you. You don't have to meet them or speak to them. And they usually have the price of, you know, having somebody in your particular country, right? So it's basically mm-hmm. leveraging yourself, right? By hiring people and helping you. So it's great, 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 great. I've been doing it for many, many years and mm-hmm. I definitely recommend it for anyone. Okay. So what would the difference be between a virtual assistant and a, um, basically an offshore employee? Um, offshore employee, it's pretty much yeah. the same. I would say it's okay. the same. Um, the difference between a virtual assistant or offshore employee versus somebody local is pricing. Mm-hmm. Right? So by hiring somebody in the Philippines, they have their uh, wages um, mm-hmm. there, which is less than Canada or you okay. know, the United States. That's mainly the main thing. However, the skills are exactly the same. Okay. They'll be exactly the same. So the first thing is pricing. Mm -hmm. So when you're starting off on your own, you may not have the funds to hire Mm -hmm. somebody in Canada that's the minimum wage. I think it's ten, fifteen, or something twenty dollars an hour. Fourteen dollars in Ontario now. Yeah, yeah. So in the Philippines now, she's actually going up now, but it's five, Mm -hmm. seven, or ten. It doesn't matter what you're doing; you could easily get started by leveraging your time, by hiring someone to help you do administrative work that you don't need to be doing, right? And okay. focus on what, you know, what matters the most, 
which is the sales and marketing of your career or your business. Okay. And the staffing solutions that you do, is that mainly overseas staff or do you do like locally stuff? Uh, it's uh, North America. We're still in the United States. Yeah, United States and uh, Canada. Okay. All right then. Uh, so when did you realize that you were supposed to start this company? It's funny you ask that. It was actually here in Toronto, um, probably around 2008, uh, while I was at the Ryerson University. Um, I was studying my Bachelor of Commerce for Human mm -hmm. Resources. Um, however, I was already doing uh, my job. I was already a director of a company um, mm -hmm. at the government at that time in the recruitment um, division. And what, that's when I realized that what I was learning in school was actually outdated. Mm -hmm. Like I was actually doing the position, getting trained at work because I love education. Yeah. But the textbook at the university were outdated, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did love the experience of, of going to school because it allowed me to speak to different types of individuals. So people that mm -hmm. were, you know, scholared, it allowed me to go into a room and do presentation and speak to that audience. Um, but I'm a very hands-on individual, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I love to work. That's what I do. So while I was studying, I realized that I already know what I want. I'm already doing it. But now mm -hmm. I realized that I wanted to go on my own. And I realized okay. I really don't need a degree. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of getting the right education fast, right? Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to invest in myself. I got myself a coach, specifically within the recruiting and staffing industry. And that's when my business just skyrocketed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're in school and then doing this business on the side and then realize that what you're learning in school was outdated and then focused on investing your resources in this modern type of um, digital HR staffing solutions. That is correct. And you know, people, people talk about academic school and I believe in education. I love, mm -hmm. I love education. I love learning, but there's different ways of learning nowadays. Yeah, right. Yeah. Some people, you know, if they love school, they want to take four or five years to go to school. That's fine. I prefer to learn from the best, shorten mm -hmm. the time, and you learn quickly, and it's applicable. It's hands-on education. So that's mm -hmm. basically the kind of education that I've had was hands-on, get things done, and learn from the best. Yeah, there's definitely a big difference between education and a degree. And I mean, it used to be that if you wanted a good education, um, you, you'd have to get a degree. But that, you know, the internet kind of really shifts that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, definitely. Okay. So did you ever f end up finishing your degree or did you stop no. and then continue? No, I stopped. I was actually paying for my own. I already had, I had money to pay for my own education um, mm -hmm. at that time. Right. So I was paying and I'm just, okay, I'm not sure what I was getting out of it. Um, I okay. love the social component. I was mostly in school, to tell the truth, to play art. I did art, theater, art. Yeah. I was in the radio. I was a student ambassador. Like I love the social component. Mm -hmm. But homework, I never did any homework. Uh, okay. But I ate all of them because uh, yep. all I had to do was to study the night before, which is very detriment to, I, I know we're not going on that subject, but school. Because school is about memorizing something mm -hmm. and passing the test, right? Um, so I was good at that. I'm good at memorizing and I'm good at passing tests, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but when I went to school, socialized, know everybody, and I love the concept of school. Um, but yeah, I just decided, you know what, it's not for me. I'm not getting what I want. And I really knew what I wanted. So when it was clear in my heart that this is what I'm looking to do was to open a business. Now finding what I wanted to do was the next step. Uh, but I was already doing some of it, which was HR recruitment. 
and mm-hmm. then later on, that's when I started that path towards recruitment. Mm-hmm. So why HR and recruitment specifically and not any other industry? Um, I've actually got headhunted um, while I was at work. Somebody called me. I had no idea what recruiting was all about, but I did do many other jobs. Um, so while I was in working for the government at that time, so I worked for the government while I was going to school doing HR, and I was dying inside, like literally mm-hmm. dying, because I knew I was meant for something greater. I wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, however, my family and society, they, you know, and being in Canada, they yeah. say work for the government. Work there for 20 years, you've got your pension, you've got your full benefit, you're set, right? So I got in. Exactly. So I got in. I think I was 19 at the time. I'm permanent. I'm bilingual. Right. So I easily got, not easily, but after six months I got oh, in. Oh, so you're making like sunshine list dollars. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Or yeah. possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Bilingual. Like, yeah. Were you, was it federal level, the job you had? Later on. So first I did, um, started off at 40K and then I mm. made 75,000. Because I went for the federal. I worked yeah, the federal minimum wage is ridiculous. It's like seventy-five thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, yeah. But I was dying. Like mm-hmm. I was dying. I was complaining all the time. And I remember my boyfriend at the time was saying, "Can you stop complaining? You're making more money than me." And he's a lawyer, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like you're making more money than me. You have a dream job. What are you complaining about? And I'm like, I'm freaking bored. I'm actually not doing anything at all. You know, so. No one supported me in my journey to quitting because it doesn't mm-hmm. matter who I spoke to. They told me, are you crazy? My dream is to be part of the government, to work for the government. Mm-hmm. So I decided, that's when I decided to get coached. Um, so at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm not sure if you know Tony Robbins. Yeah, I heard of Tony yeah, Robbins. Yeah. yeah. So 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, I'm always hearing those, you know, those infomercials. Mm-hmm. And then one time it just spoke to me. It's like, are, are you, you know, do you feel like meant for something greater I'm like yes this is me you know I am so I bought his program at four o'clock in the morning uh, mm-hmm. back then I didn't have a credit card so I wrote a check and back then it was cassette tapes you know so I had okay. all cassette comes in and I did the uh, power uh, personal personal power yeah and I quit I, I had everything laid out or uh, mm-hmm. full um, plan as to what I was looking to do um, but at that time, you would say that Tony Robbins was my coach. He was the only one, so to speak, that supported me towards my journey. So I quit the government, um, mm-hmm. did some job hopping until I found my niche in recruitment. Um, okay. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, and I've, I've been doing this for the past 17 years now. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm curious, this is like a long time ago. Information traveled a lot slower back then. And you're listening to Tony Robbins in the early days on tape yeah what did your friends and family think when you made that move um they all no one supported me as i mentioned no one Mm -hmm. so i literally had no support whatsoever Mm -hmm. and so ever since then they've been you know they thought that what is she doing they kept asking me to go back to school they kept asking me to go back to the government so literally i couldn't talk to them i couldn't talk Mm -hmm. to anybody for that matter you know and my boyfriend at that time kind of got me later on because he saw me making steps and progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was good. The only thing that he started to get jealous of Tony Robbins because I kept talking about him so much. Okay. <laughs> that was the only bad side. But other than that, no, no one supported me. No one wanted to, no, just wanted mm-hmm. me to go back to the government. They had no idea what was happening. They had no idea mm-hmm. what was going on. Entrepreneurship, no one in my family 
was entrepreneur. So they had no idea what I was doing and they didn't support it at all either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which yeah, it was sad, but I don't know. I felt that I was actually in my lane. Like, this is what mm-hmm. I was meant, you know, meant to do. So it was a great, great journey. Um, and I'm, I, it was a lonely journey, I must say, because mm-hmm. you sort of have to change your entire mindset. Um, so, you know, while you're doing this program, it teaches you back then I used to smoke two packs a day of cigarettes. I create mm-hmm. cold turkey. So in okay. order for me to change my lifestyle, I had to change my environment. So I changed mm-hmm. my friends, people that were smokers, I didn't hang around them anymore. So I had a lot of change that happened very quick, mm-hmm. very fast. And, but to me, it made sense because what it was all about was reprogramming your mindset, right? So I literally had different you know, parts of my mind that I was rewiring. And that's what mm-hmm. it was all about, right? So quit smoking, quit smoking, um, cold turkey, didn't need to use any pads or anything else. It was just through my mindset. Went to work out at 5 o'clock in the morning. I used to be a light night person. I could go clubbing, but I quit mm-hmm. that. Got so you're saying 5 morning. o'clock in the morning? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Minimum. And I had my personal trainer meeting me at six o'clock. Yeah, always. Mm-hmm. So ever since then, I've actually I've developed that those habits. And as you're developing those habits, you'll find other people that are living that life. Mm-hmm. So your whole circle of friends, family, or yeah, they will start to I would say lose them, um, which mm-hmm. is fine because you could love them, right, and see them once a month during family mm-hmm. events. But once you decide to make a change in your life. You will attract other people and you will be in a different path. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. So I hear that a lot from a lot of entrepreneurs. It's just that, that boundary between people who are close, like you, you want to make sure you're changing your circle of influence, but at the same time, you're not rejecting these people who are dear and meaningful to your life. So Correct. how is that process like making sure that you're not getting too entangled, but at the same time maintaining a good boundary so that you can have that space to do what, what you needed to do? Um, it was easier, I would say, because I, my parents lived in Montreal. Um, I had sisters in um, Ottawa. And so at that time, I lived in Toronto. So it was only me at that time, me and my boyfriend. Okay. So it was easier because they live in different um, uh, cities within the well, same country. Um, but it was mostly friends, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Which I had to keep to myself. I actually kept to myself um, and just me and my boyfriend at the time. And that was it. And the new people and the new surrounding and that I was having. And the people that I was surrounding myself with believed I had the same mindset. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was quite easy uh, because I didn't really, uh, my family were in different cities. Um, and I developed new friends. And the childhood friends, I, I had them around, but I would see them once in a while. They were busy too with their own life. And our schedule didn't match anymore. Right? Okay. I was getting up at five o'clock. I didn't go clubbing anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So our schedule didn't match anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a lonely road. Don't get me wrong. Most entrepreneurs will tell you it's a lonely road. Yeah. Um, but I was honestly, I was enjoying the journey. Um, I okay. was enjoying the journey and I had the support, right? Those tapes at the time was the support. And then later on I got coaches. So mm-hmm. I always had the support around me um, that I invested in. Okay. Yeah. I feel like yours, your journey. Well, probably looking back at it, it sounded actually very smooth compared to a lot of the other entrepreneurs I've talked to. And it's interesting because a few things I'm hearing here is you were in a different city. So you had almost like a completely blank slate to start over new and create the kind of circle that you needed in order to do well. You had a good 
influences, the kind of influences that you needed to get you where you wanted to go. And then of course, you're just completely bored out of your mind doing some federal <laughs> government work, which is always a motivator as well. Uh, what else am I not hearing here? Because it seems almost like those two perfect and a little too easy. Oh, really? Is that how it sounds yeah. like? Lonely, uh, lonely, but yeah. maybe, you know, like sometimes I hear stories about just completely ridiculous things like, oh yeah, and then my house burned down and this happened and I was homeless for two weeks. Um, but you maybe, know what? You're, yeah. you're right about that because well, now it's more about the entrepreneurial journey, but that was when I was in Toronto, but growing up, that's when things were rough, right? Mm. So growing up, first, uh, we're first generation immigrants, right? Mm -hmm. My parents are from Haiti. So we, we had a rough um, path growing up, right? So we grew okay. up yeah. poor, right? We had to live in like um, shelters, women abuse shelters. So we had a rough beginning. Mm. Um, oh, were you born in Haiti? Montreal. Montreal, okay. Montreal, yeah. So I'm first generation. So my mom came in when I was a baby. Uh, mm -hmm. So I was born here. Um, yeah. so, you know, so I grew up here, but it's first generation. So my mom, um, her mindset from mm -hmm. Haiti to Canada was very new. So we had to adapt to that. Mm -hmm. um, so it was quite interesting, but it was quite, quite challenging as well because my parents got a divorce. They couldn't really adapt to the Canadian um, environment. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really hard on them. It was really hard yeah. on them. So we were, yeah, we were struggling a lot, a lot. So okay. yeah, a lot of bad, sad stories in that end. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we had to travel, go from home to home, trying to find just a place to live. Um, so yeah, we're poor in so many ways. Um, but the only thing that I would say that differentiates me from many people, because mm -hmm. I hear that from my sisters as well. Because my sisters, if you speak to them, you'll hear the sad story and mm -hmm. the story crying, they'll cry right now, yeah, yeah. reminiscing about our background. Mm -hmm. um, but what I've always done from a very, very young age, I would, since the age of 15 years old, was to read books. Mm -hmm. you know? um, my first book, my first personal development book was How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, okay. Dale Carnegie. And if you read that book, you never worry in your life. All you mm -hmm. do is think about how grateful you are. Right. So from a young age, my, my mind has been wired that way versus my sisters. They, they didn't have that kind of books and they weren't reading the same kind of thing that I was reading. Mm -hmm. so we're always focusing on the negative, always focusing on the bad stuff, whereas I created a you know, circle of positivity around me. So mm -hmm. I believe in the law of attraction. So obviously things happen for, you know, for a reason. So because I kept investing in my mind, I've attracted mm -hmm. different people. Right? Okay. So we're all living in, I remember that time, we were all living in Ottawa. Um, I think we were, I don't know, I can't remember. It was a very bad area. And mm -hmm. then I ended up meeting somebody. Um, so it took out, then we moved together to Toronto, right? So from mm -hmm. Toronto, that's when my life started on its own. And I went, you know, away from my family and I just started something on my own. Um, but I would say that it's investing in books and it's mainly your mind. You start mm -hmm. to attract different people. And that's, I would say, is what differentiates me from other people, and even my people from my own family. Because mm -hmm. I hear it all the time. And I feel yeah, way too yeah. positive. Things are way too high. Like, I'm like, well, that's how I feel. That's how I think. That's how I'm programmed. Mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. <laughs> and was this always the case? Or did you have to learn to shift your mind into a very positive uh, thinking uh, way? Um, I find that it was also through my mother. Mm -hmm. um, like we used to be like, just laying down, maybe not having food or whatever, because you know, probably didn't have the money at that time. 
And she would always say, don't worry, God will provide. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. mom, I'm really hungry. I need some food right now. I don't need to hear that God will provide. Yeah. I need something right now. But her mindset and the way that she kept repeating, don't worry, you know, God will provide. Or, you know, this too shall pass. So she would say those little things. And funny enough, it actually stayed with me. Back mm-hmm. then, I didn't understand that. But now, that's what I use every single day when things are good or bad. I'm like, you know what? I have, you could call it fate. Okay. You know, I would say, you know what? I'm not worried because this too shall pass or, you know, God will provide. So I've always had that mindset and I would say this for my mom. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I guess that's the only thing she could do. She had five kids, raising five kids on her own. I'm sure it was tough. That was the only thing that I guess she needed for herself and she instilled in us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That actually sheds a lot more light. Um, and it also explains so much more about why the way you talk about your journey is very positive because, you know, that, that's also, it's one of these things that I, I kind of see a lot in, in Toronto when I get to know a lot of people from immigrant backgrounds, um, a lot of people from just very impoverished parts of the world. And something that's very common is this kind of like, um, like a scarcity mentality, mm-hmm. right? They've lost so much. They barely made it into Canada. And now that they're here, it's, it's very defensive, which makes sense when you got a government job. That's like, they, they, as far as many immigrant families feel, that's it. We won. Yeah. Right? My children have worked for the government. We're stable. And we're just going to stay like this. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the case for so many of the hardworking immigrants in our country. But then for you, is it because... Like how, you mentioned that you were, you were completely bored in the job, but then you're also raised here as well. So, so that tension between home, how you're raised and where you want to go. Like, tell, tell me more about that. I feel like there's more richness there that hasn't been explored yet. Well, until now, it's still very much separate world. They still mm-hmm. look at me like I'm this, what the hell is she doing now? Right? Because I'm a traveling CEO which means that my entire, all of my companies are virtual, right? So mm. I have people taking care of certain things, but I've been traveling for the past three years now, right? So I was in Asia for three years. I'm just traveling. I've lived in Bali for two years. I'm traveling every single month. So they cannot comprehend what's going on. <laughs> they mm. cannot comprehend this lifestyle. You know, I was in Australia um, I've lived in New York for 10 years. I've been in South Beach. I live in Vegas. My family, they didn't give up, but they just cannot comprehend. They don't understand Okay, so it. to this day, they still really don't get what it is that you're doing. No, they do understand. Okay. Yeah. They don't understand. I'm like, how come you're not settling down? And how come you don't have a house and a husband and children? And I'm like, there's more to life, right? Than yeah. just that, right? So until today, they still, they, under, they accept me, obviously, mm-hmm. but they don't understand all this traveling. How come, but they, they're like, wow, how can you do it? Uh, yeah. But I don't think they actually comprehend. I, I really don't think they comprehend that because for them, it's very much, you have to be in one location. You gotta be settled. You gotta have, yeah. you know, husband, family, children. So yeah, my mom, um, I think she, she's okay now. <laughs> she's still got mm-hmm. my child, but she supports it. Uh, yeah. but I don't think I don't go into in-depth as to what I'm doing because yeah, yeah. Well, there's no point <laughs> if they don't understand they don't understand um, but I just love my journey in terms of being free free-spirited mm. and I meet different other people that have the same mindset and we all feel the same way we all feel that we have our own little family 
mm-hmm. we understand each other, but the rest of the world don't, and it's okay, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but in my family and now, until today, I would say that they're, they're supportive, they're great. I'm always there for the fun, for function. Like right now, I'm in Toronto just because um, my sister's getting married, but I was in Australia. I might go back to Australia to live there for a bit, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I find that until today, it's, it's, uh, it's something that they have to some upset. Uh, but I'm sure they want me to be here more often. They want me yeah. to be more with the family and they want to be more normal, so to speak. But they do encourage that. They do encourage entrepreneurship. And I help them from time to time, right? Mm. If they want to pursue that path. But I find that it is different. Um, they have their own different ways of determining what success is to them. And some of them is, is to get a job, you know, yeah. is to go to school, right? Mm. So, yeah, so it's still there. It's still very much there. And that's okay. You know, not yeah. everybody has the same views um, or mindset as you, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you had to restart your whole journey again, what would you do different this time? Um, I know that people say they will not do anything differently. Um, and I would say the same thing. However, I find that especially now, nowadays, um, it's more to... I would say never stop. Because sometimes I would get coaches and I would stop thinking I could do it on my own. Yeah. I find that you should always get coaches. Always get coaches. Always get mentor. Even as I was relaxing in Bali. Yeah. For like two years and a half. Um, I've actually retired for the second time. The first time okay. I retired. I'm tired, by the way, for the noise. Um, the first... Sorry about that. This, let me just wait for them to... Uh, so the first time that I retired, I was in my mm-hmm. 30s and I was in South Beach. And then the second, and, but then I went back to work because I'm like, I'm bored. I'm always yeah. bored. How I'm long did you retire for before you had to get back in? Um, I didn't have to go back in. I just decided to go back in. Yeah. Right? Or emotionally so, that need of, oh, I got to do something. Yeah. You know, it's highly overrated. Any, anyone that's working all their entire life and they want to retire at 65 or whatever it is, or people that are entrepreneurs just want to go to the beach, always have a goal. Always have a big, gigantic goal to tackle once you finish resting. Mm -hmm. Right? So I would say that for me, when I was resting in Bali um, for two years and a half, and that's one thing about me. I'm actually, I have a hard time relaxing. That's why yeah. I wanted to take that time for myself. And most entrepreneurs are that way. They always yeah. like to keep moving. Um, but I wish that I had something bigger while I was there, right? So yeah. I could have maybe helped out in terms of charity or something. But I yeah. find that always having a coach to grow each and every city, country that you want, just having a map and a roadmap so that everywhere that you go, you are intentional, I think it's mm-hmm. very important. Yeah. Okay. So it's like whatever you're doing at that time of your life, find someone who's done it before you and then seek out their mentorship. That is correct. And also just always be intentional. Like even yeah. when you're relaxing on the beach, what's the intention there? Is it to purely relax? Okay, then do that. You know. Mm-hmm. But while I was there, I actually wrote a book. <laughs> so yeah. I have a hard time relaxing, right? So I wrote a book, which was great. Uh, but I find always get... Always be intentional in everything yeah. that you do. Even right now, this particular interview, always be intentional in terms of what's the purpose and how can you contribute. 
and always have that kind of mindset in everything that you do. I think it's very important um, in everything that you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And is there anything about the misconceptions about entrepreneurship that you really want to hammer home for our audience? Yes. Um, entrepreneurship now seems to be the buzzword and everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, which is cool. Um, and I encourage that. And I remember before I used to think that everybody should be an entrepreneur. Everybody should have mm -hmm. some kind of, you know, and I don't, I don't believe that anymore. And I really don't believe that anymore because I find that people don't understand the work that it takes. Mm -hmm. right? People like the fancy part. People like to see the videos, the cars, the beach. But it takes hard work. It takes mm. hard work and like my journey, you know, it's a lonely work, lonely road at times, right? Yeah. And you have to change your entire mindset, you gotta change your entire environment. You can't talk to the same kind of friends anymore. Right? Mm. You have to make sure that I remember Will Smith was saying look you have to look around you and make sure the people that are around you are people that are pushing you forward, that are here to support you. Most yeah. people and I've gone to um and I've also conducted seminars and I ask, I ask people, like, who are the five people they hang around with? You're going to have to evaluate them. And if they're not part of people that are supporting you, you're going to have to see them once a year. People mm. couldn't even do that. Like, well, these are my friends. I'm like, okay, then you don't want to succeed. And it's okay to succeed in different levels, but yeah. just be honest about that. Uh, but if you want to succeed to the level that you admire are the people that have succeeded to that level, it's going to become sacrifice. So people love the buzzword, but they have no idea yeah. what it actually takes to be successful as an entrepreneur. So that's one thing that I say people just use it way too easily. And that pisses okay. me off about things. Because sometimes they actually have a paycheck. Yeah. And they call themselves entrepreneur. I'm like, you cannot be an entrepreneur and have a paycheck. It's too, no, you're you're a part-time entrepreneur, yeah, but you're still an employee, right? But a fully yeah. true entrepreneur would literally is not employable. <laughs> they okay. would rather sleep on the couch yeah. than work for somebody else. That's like okay. a business mindset that it takes, right, to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But how about those people who are kind of in between, the people with who are entrepreneurial, but they're not necessarily entrepreneurs? So the, the people that you described... Um, who are not true entrepreneurs. I don't want to use the word not true entrepreneurs, but they, they have a paycheck, but then they also have this, this kind of an itch, but not nearly as much as you to basically live on the couch. They still want that paycheck, but they still need to be able to scratch their own itch. Like, how about those people? I would encourage it. And I think it's a smart way to start your journey because mm -hmm. that's when you're going to know whether it's for you or not, right? Okay. Now, I do see a lot of people that are going hardcore and they're giving up everything. It's so funny. I meet people that are doing that and they're literally bankrupt and getting a divorce. And I don't mean to laugh, but, uh, and I actually have one of them in my podcast interview. It's so funny because now he's giving advice to people that are looking to become entrepreneurs. They're like, okay. you sure you want to be an entrepreneur? You sure you want to go through bankrupt? Because that's what entrepreneur meant to me. You sure you want to lose your wife? Because that's what entrepreneur meant to me. So people that are doing part time, I think it's a smart way of doing it. Yeah. Test what you want to do. So yes, I would call them part time entrepreneur. Right? Okay. And it's a good way to go about it. Get the right mentor. Don't reinvent yeah. the wheel. Somebody's already done what you've done. Test the water. You know, mm -hmm. but you are part time part-time entrepreneur leading okay. hopefully to, you know, to entrepreneurship. Yeah. 
Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So either way, whether you are a true blue entrepreneur in a dead-end job, or you're just an entrepreneurial person who could be a part-time entrepreneur, you still should take some sort of part-time entrepreneurial journey to see if that transitions to something full-time. Well, yeah, but the main thing about being an entrepreneur is, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Robert Kiyosaki, right? So if you understand the quadrant, yeah. So right now, when you're an employee, employee or self-employed, you're not getting any tax breaks. Mm-hmm. So you may think you're an entrepreneur, but you're paying a lot of taxes. You're not getting any tax breaks. Most of your things are not right at all. You're still, yeah. you know, so you're, you're still working, exchanging your time. When you go to the other side of becoming a business owner, which you have, you know, you're incorporated, so you get a lot mm-hmm. of tax breaks. You have staff working for you. Most of your things are right off. Or an investor... That's what I call, yeah, you're a successful entrepreneur slash business owner, and you understand the tax break that it takes. Other than that, you're just, you know, a solopreneur, but yeah, it's, it's, you're not getting any benefits. You're paying taxes, a lot of taxes, yeah. and you're not getting the benefit of being, um, of creating a passive income, of creating income that's working for you. You're still exchanging your time for money, right? So yeah. there's different ways, there's different levels, but I would be more focus on what the Kiyosaki quadrant and move yourself to the other side of business owners and investors. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's like owning, it's funny because when, when you said that, I was thinking uh, Karl Marx's communist manifesto. You actually learn a lot about capitalism studying the people who criticize it the most. So Karl, yeah. Karl Marx kind of split it between the bourgeois and the proletariat. So those who own the means of production versus those who exchange their time for a wage. And Correct. his problem with capitalism was that those who own the means of production will continue to increase their capital as they reinvest more and more of their money into it. Whereas those who trade their time for a wage are always going to be kind of stuck at the same level. And eventually as things grow and markets shift, uh, those who are just merely trading their time for wages, they're going to be kind of left behind. Now he was right about a lot of things, but also really wrong about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and that's, uh, I think we, so like, do see a lot of that today. Um, I mean, one of the big things now that Marx was completely wrong about is you can actually rent the means of production, right? We're not like some, uh, 1800s, mm-hmm. uh, peasant that had no access to capital, no access to things. I think the internet really has completely changed that. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. I agree with, cause that's basic math. Mm. only 24 hours in a day. And if it's you again, exchanging your time, there's only so much you can do versus being a business owner. Like, you know, that's why even I promote virtual assistant. Even if, you, even if you're starting off, mm-hmm. you could just exchange a little bit of administrative staff that you don't need and give it to somebody else and focus on the sales, which is what business is all about, making a profit. You're way off, right? Mm. So I believe in that because, yeah, this is what differentiates us from the Richard Brinson, yeah, you know, it's the fact that they are leveraging their time, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's the one thing that we all have that's equal is time. The way yeah. you use it is what makes you successful or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if our audience wanted to get in contact with you for more uh, of what you do, where can they reach you? They could go to www.ruth.com. For DNA, links, 
L-I-N-K-S.com. You'll be able to see all of the um, events, products, and books and programs that, that, are, that are taking place there. All right. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much, David. It was a pleasure being here. That's all for this interview. So don't forget to subscribe and hit that notification bell to stay up to date with the different interviews that we have with more business owners.